How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Okay, time to talk uh, college football. We heard uh, that uh, PJ wouldn't be available. We wanted to spend Easter with his family. Totally understand that. And the first person I wanted to call was Glenn Mason because it's always so much fun to talk college football with Glenn Mason. Glenn, the very first of the uh, predictions reports are starting to come out. And ESPN, at least a branch of ESPN, going out on a limb and says, Minnesota, uh, the candidate of choice to win the Big Ten West. Your reaction? Well, I, I don't know if I would go that far, but I, I've said uh, a, a number of times that, that you know, a year ago we thought that the Big Ten would be the wild, wild east, and uh, I think this year will be a wild, wild west in the West Division, and most assuredly, you know, I, I think uh, Minnesota is going to be, you know, right in there. The way they finished last year, the number of players that they have coming back, uh uh, the youth movement has been very beneficial to them. So uh, I I don't know who I would pick. So I'm not trying to say that I, I don't think that Minnesota will win it. But right now, I don't know who I would pick to win the West uh, in the Big Ten. Uh, you do got to take a good peek at Nebraska, don't you, with that quarterback? Yeah, I think Adrian Martinez is exceptional. I think he's a guy before all said and done out in Lincoln. His name will be mentioned uh, in uh, Heisman uh, Trophy uh, type conversations uh, as long as they continue to win. I don't think the problem is going to be on offense there. It's defense, Mike, and I've uh, been quite critical of that so-called black shirt defense for years uh, because I remember when it really was a black shirt defense. But if they sure up that defense in, in, in Lincoln, I think they'll be a force to be contended with. Glenn, going back to the, the Gophers for just a minute, they showed a kind of a fun wrinkle in the spring game at the right time. Uh, Ford, it's uh, first and goal, or I don't know if it was first and goal, but it was something to go from the six-yard line. All of a sudden, Fa'alele is in there running back, and three guys hit him and bounce off as he goes into the end zone. They've already got Seth Green in the Wildcat. Do you think that's something that they they will keep in their back pocket for during the year? Well, it might be. Uh, let's not forget, you know, for the – uh, people that they're old enough remember uh, when the Chicago Bears were going yeah, uh, to the Super Bowl, they put the William uh, Refrigerator Perry, you know, back there. And in certain situations, it, you know, it was really hard to handle. So, you know, I, what does he weigh? 400 pounds or something like yeah, that? Yeah, 400 pounds. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm an old linebacker. You hate to tackle a running back that's 200 pounds, let alone <laughs> 400 pounds. Glenn, just, Mike, let me jump in here. It made me think of something, and I know you can fill in the blank. I've just got the fragment of a play in my mind. But did Cupido double-cross you or somebody? I was thinking of a goal-line situation, and, and I, I think it might have been a keeper. Cupido took it into the end zone, and everybody in the – I just don't remember the details, but it sticks in the back of my mind. Well, I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about. I remember that uh... – uh, I, I'm not exactly sure of the year. I think it, it might have been 2005 when we played Purdue. Uh, and uh, it came and we decided to go for it on the goal line. Uh, and uh, uh, on fourth and one or fourth and two, and we called an option play. <laughs> and, uh, 
the thing about it was that was always funny was uh, uh, we sent the play in and Cupido told the guys in the huddle, you're not going to believe this one, fellas. <laughs> and, <laughs> that was, that was it. <laughs> so that, that, that might have been it. Coach, we got the draft coming up. When you're a head coach, head college coach, what kind of questions does the NFL ask you about your personnel? Is it a lot about their ability? Is it more about character? What's that like for a head coach in college? Well, Mike, you know that they, they man, they test these guys. They pre-test them. They do all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm not really sure about what a, you know, 40-yard dash time tells a, a guy, a coach in the National Football League that watch an endless amount of film when he's playing football with a headgear on and carrying a football uh, doesn't tell him. But uh, I could always tell when a team was really interested in drafting one of my players because, uh, they got the other stuff, you know, what kind of team player it was, was he unselfish, did he play through injuries, uh, could you count on him, did he go to class, did you ever have any problems with him, were there any drug issues, uh, tell me about his family life, you know, all those type of things. I really thought uh, that when they wanted to sit down in my office and spend some time with me talking about a particular player uh, to get to the nitty-gritty, the things that they couldn't get in timing in a 40-yard dash and watching on film, I thought they'd be very interesting. I remember I uh, fielded a phone call one day on draft day uh, from Bill Parcells, and Bill called me up and said, hey, he said, I got a couple questions to ask you real quick. He says, we're, you know, we're getting ready. We want to draft a guy that we could be uh, a back, a, a second team back that could carry the ball about eight plays a game that's tough, that's reliable, and could be a good special teams player. Uh, and he says, would you endorse Marion Barber? And I said, absolutely, without a question. And uh, he said, thank you, hung up. And, I mean, literally 30 seconds later, they drafted Marion Barber. Well, that worked out pretty well for him. He became more than a second team back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was good draft. And then, you know, the thing about it was uh, later on when, when he was having some uh, – success down there. Bill Parcells mentioned to the press down there, because I got never called, he said, he said you know, they asked him, what did you see in Marion Barber? And he said, I went on the recommendation of my good friend, Glenn Mason. I'm not sure I was ever a good friend of Bill Parcells, <laughs> but I appreciated him saying that. You know, Glenn, uh, earlier Mike and I were talking a little bit about the upcoming draft and Blake Cashman stock is going up. And one of the things that people have said about Cashman is they like his athleticism and the fact that he was really a good basketball player. Did you, when you were scouting and going on the road, did you see some of your players play other sports and do you feel you learned much from that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Dave, uh, first of all, I, I like to recruit guys that were gym rats that played a lot of different sports. And, you know, in this day and age with early commitments and all that kind of stuff, when I first got involved in uh, coaching, a large part of my assistant coaching career, uh, you didn't make those early decisions. Uh, you know, heck, most of the time you're waiting after a guy's senior year. Sometimes you're waiting uh, into January before you ultimately were offering a guy a scholarship. And uh, a lot of times, depending on uh, the difference with going on a guy or not going on a guy, was how he played in basketball or what kind of wrestler he was or you know those type of things. So I thought that was very important. What's the hardest position to project in college and professional, and is it the same in terms of what you see versus not knowing and the uncertainty of what they're going to become? Uh, a great question, Mike. I always thought that, uh, and, and I think it's a, a difference. You know, first of all, 
Uh, I think when you're trying to recruit guys to play offense or defensive line uh, at this level, when you look at them in high school, it's tough because uh, the size and the strength and the speed that you need to play at this level, all too often these guys are playing against high school. Guys are far inferior to them. You know, a lot of times you'll have a, you know, an offensive line. Oh, give me an example. The kid that's going to Notre Dame, Quinn Carroll, uh, from Eden Prairie. What does he weigh, 300 pounds? Yeah, uh, Redina, most yeah. Redina, yep. Most of the time he's probably blocking uh, uh, a defensive lineman that may, might weigh 180. Yeah. Uh, he's not going to face any 180-pound lineman when he, you know, he gets to Notre Dame. You know, same thing, uh, you know, with uh, defense uh, alignment. You you look at a guy and you think, well, how is he going to play? Well, he's not going against 300-pound offensive alignment. He's going against 200-pound centers if you get you know get my drift. I've always thought when you go to the next level uh, for pro football, which I've never been there, how do you evaluate quarterbacks? Most of the really good quarterbacks come from good teams in college, and when you watch them play, they hardly ever get hit you know, because their their supporting cast is so good. Now you go to the next level when they go to play pro football. I don't, almost without exception, uh, those quarterbacks, because of the ability of the defensive line and defenses, those quarterbacks, when they go to throw the ball, are always under duress. So you're, you're looking at evaluating guys in college that are not being pressured very much, and you're trying to put them in a situation where they're going to be under pressure all the time. Glenn Mason, good stuff as always. Uh, I don't think we ever have you on when you don't learn something about the game of football. That's what makes it so much fun when we give you a call and you say, sure, I'd be happy to go on. Sid is not here this morning, a little bit under the weather. We'll get a Murray certificate. We'll get it in the mail to you next week. Thanks so much. Happy Easter. I'll be on with you guys anytime you want. Thanks, Coach. We look forward to it. We get great feedback on our uh, text line, too. So it's not just us who appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, that's Glenn Mason. Back with more right after this. Sports Huddle, Dave and Mike. All right, we are back. We'll take phone calls and text messages in our final segment. That means you should call us right now if you want to get on. 651-989-9226. That's 9226. Mike, you've got a special guest. Yeah, Matthew Hurt, Mr. Basketball in Minnesota, uh, made his decision and waited late, and there was a a reason for that. He wanted to see – uh, well, I guess when you can go anywhere you want to go, uh, you wait and see where the best opportunity is, and that included seeing who comes back and who stays. And, Matthew, you decided on Duke. Take us through it. What, what was it like to go through the process of all that recruiting? Um, yeah, it was great. Um, you know, just uh, my mindset was just to uh, look at the uh, game days, kind of routines that all the colleges do, what they do, pregame, after game, um, how they prep for uh, each game. So, you know, that was that was big on my, my – uh, my list to uh, try to make a decision. So I, th- I think just seeing those really helped me make an understanding of each college. So I, I thought it was great. Matthew, what uh, how big an influence was the decision of Trey Jones to return at point guard for Duke? Yeah, it was it was a it was a big influence uh, influence for me because I thought I thought that was the icebreaker that you know if he if he stayed another year, which was up in the air because, you know, he could have gone, like, late first round or wherever, wherever he was uh, projected to be. But, you know, he decided to come uh, back at Duke. And I, I, th- I thought that was just the icebreaker. And I, I, right, right when he announced it, I knew I wanted to go to Duke uh, because just the, just the way he plays offensively and defensively uh, could really impact my game as well. You're talking to your dad, who coached you as well at the, in the summer team and everything else, and, and your, your brother, of course, the Gophers, you get a sister. Your sister's a, quite a player, too, as a freshman, huh? 
Yeah, she's she's pretty good. I mean, she, she she's gonna be a sophomore next year, so uh, their high school team was pretty young this year. So I think next year they'll take a they'll take a, a even bigger step. So I'm just I'm just excited to uh, see where where she goes in her uh, basketball career as well. But but your dad said going on those recruiting trips was what was fascinating was you can go to the homes of these coaches and you see a lot of pretty cool houses. What is that like to be in the home of Mike Shashevsky or Bill Self or uh, you name it? You had your choice, Roy Williams. What, what's that like for you? And what was that like to experience? Yeah, it was great. Um, all all their houses uh, are, are big. Um, you know, they have you know they have pools. Uh, I think one of them has a a mini or a basketball court in the backyard. You know. Most of all of them have movie theaters, so just just being with them, just knowing the history of uh, all of them uh, is great. Uh, it makes the experience a lot more a lot more better. Just knowing that I'm I'm in uh, uh, Coach K's uh, house right now, it just, it just makes me uh, feel that uh, pretty good. Matthew, uh, as recently as five years ago, you used to see guys recruited by position. They'd say, uh, we're recruiting him as a four. We're recruiting him as a three. He's got, and more and more now you're hearing this guy's a ball player. And, and some of those traditional roles have diminished somewhat. And they're just trying to get five guys on the floor who can play together. Throughout your recruiting, did you did you feel you were torn one, side, one way or another on that? Um, yeah, you know, all, all the coaches, you know, really said positionless, positionless basketball, and they think they could see me uh, being a positionless basketball player because, you know, uh, I, I think I think defending, you know, one through five, you know, is, is, is really, really tough to guard. But I think if, uh, if you can do that, you know, you're, you can be a, a positionless basketball player. So I think I, I think just knowing that you know that, that, uh, he was going to use me all over the court, it, it just it just made me want to uh, even more uh, to get in the season already. So you know I'm, I'm just excited. Well, Matthew, we appreciate your time very much, and uh, good luck next year. We'll be following the Minnesota connection to the Blue Devils. Yeah, thank you, I appreciate it. All right, it's Matthew Hurt. Now I'll give the phone numbers one more time. We're coming back for our last segment. Be your phone calls. We've got some really good text messages. We'll try to mix them together. Right now, phone lines are open. Your job, fill them. 651-989-9226. Back after this, Sports Huddle. Sid, Dave, and Mike. And now... Well, even though Sid's not here with us this morning, a little bit under the weather, we... We certainly uh, didn't want to end without uh, Frank Sinatra. When I say end, I just want to make sure people understand we're giving away to Twins Broadcasting in six and a half minutes right now. They've got the early game in Baltimore. This will happen a couple of times during the baseball season. The show only an hour and a half long today. We thank our callers and our our texters. And, Mike, i got a whole bunch of text messages here. The very subject. One is, what do we see for the Twins when Sano comes back? Well, yeah. Uh, Jim Cott, I don't know if he, did you see the play that Gonzalez made yesterday? Oh, I sure did. Down the line? Holy smokes. I mean, you want you want to be a big ligger? Go try, there, there's there's the standard, man. He took the ball going the other way, stopped, and you know, normally they bounce Planted. it. Planted. Planted. Normally they bounce it beyond the pitcher's mound now, and, they, and he just threw a rocket. Overhand, right? never higher than head high, yep. never lower. And, and uh, I talked to him last week, and he, he thought that his problems hitting offensively was the weather. He said, I, I just got to tell you, this cold weather I never had in Houston, and it's bothered me a lot. So he may be heating up here a little bit. Uh, but to the point, he could never have too many, you know, in 162-game season. If Sano's ready to go, you find a spot for him. Now, obviously, DH is going to be hard to come by because Nelson Cruz looks like he's the real deal. And you talked to that guy, as I did last week in the clubhouse. Uh, he's got a quiet confidence about himself, and, and he is – 
what you want. So uh, Sano might have to earn some at bats, but usually it plays out because, you know, if somebody else gets injured in the outfield, you might put Gonzalez out there, that kind of stuff. You yeah, just as long as they don't around. put Sano back in right field. I think we saw enough. Yeah, I think we saw that <laughs> experiment. <laughs> that yeah. I think bringing Sano back is going to be terrific for the Twins. They could put an offensive team on the field. I mean, look at some of the guys. that were, Look at Garver and his comfort and the Two way he looks at stroke of his. He looks like a major league hitter. Yeah, and, and he said it. Terrific! They batted him leadoff the other day. Um, he's got a, he's got a real kind of cockiness, confidence about him. So if you get some starting pitching, if Perez is you know what you thought he might be, uh, Barrios says you know he's getting there. Uh, the only problem they had last week, you know they they played twenty seven innings or they played uh, thirty six innings against Toronto and probably outplayed them in thirty two. But they had three bad innings. Yeah, the pitching was just so atrocious uh, with those guys. But it was a one-inning yeah. blow-up always. You yeah. know? All right, so much for that question. St. Thomas situation, guys. As you guys are the flagship of St. Thomas. What's happening with St. Thomas and the MIAC? Well, they had that, the presidents met and they didn't do anything. I, I wonder, David. Did, I don't they, think they had the votes. They, they might, either they didn't have the votes or they just wanted to make a statement that said, we're watching this, you know, and, and, and we're aware of it. I... I I don't see that going anywhere soon. Uh, they could go into the NSIC fairly easily and, and comfortably and, and, and probably do that. But, yeah, the, people, the things that people don't understand is if it's an enrollment-driven league and there's no scholarships, you can leave in the playing fields. Duke can win in basketball. They don't have to have a big enrollment, right? But in the MIAC, it's driven by numbers. And, and if the people that get the most, you know, Eden Prairie is going to beat Fridley in football. Well, Eden Prairie better because they got a ton more football players to pick from. That's what they're talking about in this league. But... On the other hand, there are teams in the MIAC that got to go, you know what, what could we do better? It's not just about St. Thomas. What are we doing that we could do better? Yeah, it's been interesting because some of the, some of the players for those, those teams said, hey, we, we'd, we'd love to have those facilities. And, you know, we like to have them in the league because we'd like the chance to, to beat them from time to time. Here's the next text message, kind of interesting. Did you guys find it interesting that the commissioner of the soccer uh, league came to town and said, hmm, maybe could have built a few more seats over here at this facility. <laughs> I thought that was, all along, I wondered when they were drawing 24, uh, an average of 24 at the University of Minnesota, maybe it was the plat of land and there's a reason, but it does seem like uh, there was there's more fans than there are seats. It's interesting because I had Mike Nowakowski on the other day and we were talking about college basketball. Obviously, the Gophers uh, uh, didn't do themselves big favors with the season ticket package they came out with and then raising the seat license. And he says, right now, the arenas are too big for the teams uh, in this town mm-hmm. in general. Not all teams, not the Vikings, not the Wild, but the Timberwolves and the Gophers. And so I'd still rather have a high-demand ticket, do it to go for volleyball and, you know, yeah. make it a tough ticket. Scarcity. It's yeah. the, the advanced people in politics learned that a long time ago. All right, I want to thank our guest today. We're done. Scott Sandlin did a great job. Jim Cott, we can listen to him all the time. Glenn Mason, uh, Matthew Hunt. Uh, Sid, we hope you'll be back with us next week. You've been listening to the Sports Hello with Sid, Dave, and Mike. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 